You're listening to Asking for a Friend with therapist Stephen Ng. It's a conversation about human sexuality and how to approach it with intelligence, understanding, and compassion. Hi, this is Stephen Ng. Welcome to our conversation here. I'm speaking with my friend Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how are you? I'm well. And we're, as usual, we're talking about sex again. So if you don't have anybody else to hang out with and talk to and listen to about this fascinating part of the human experience, uh, we invite you to join us. Now, Jackie, what's on your mind today? I read the most interesting article this weekend in uh, More Magazine. What did you read? It's called Why More Millennials Aren't in Relationships. Why? Now, I have to tell you, I have a strong visceral reaction to this. It's not a great title. Well, okay. So what did you like about that? What I liked about it in reading this article, um, it's basically talking. So I love millennials. I, <laughs> I love their approach to life. You and the young men. I guess. <laughs> not that. I love how millennials are redefining their realities and they're redefining and they don't just say oh this is the way it's always been so this is the way we're going to do it they're changing the rules and i think that that's awesome and so reading this article because i've been hearing about um oh yeah millennials aren't aren't in relationships i've been hearing about hookup culture theft and things like that and so i wanted to know what that was all about reading this article reaffirmed my love for millennials (laughs) well i want to know i mean i guess I'm put off by the title, too, so maybe that's not fair for me to launch. I, I, I want to hear what you loved about it. I mean, you love that they're redefining reality, but, I mean, really, is that any different from any young generation coming up after the older generation? I think, no, but I, what I, it's a process, right? Um, we Things happen in one generation, and then we build upon them, and we build upon them. So, for example, women's roles. So for the longest time, we were dependent on men, and so we had, to, we had to get married, to have a house, to have kids. We had to do all those things. And then we started having our own careers, our own jobs, and becoming more independent. Um, and then you had the higher divorce rates because women didn't have to stay married for financial reasons. Right. Partly. That's why. And now you have this generation of young women who are so independent and so strong that they do not need to define themselves by a relationship. It's not like they have this hole that they're trying to fill. And so what they're doing is they are single until they meet a guy or meet a person who compliments their life. They're doing exactly what you want them to do. Everything you talk about. <laughs> oh, God, I hate it when you quote me back to myself. I know. So, yeah, I, I, I do see that. And I do think it's one of the gifts of the 20th century uh, to humanity that we no longer are in a position in terms of our development as a species and, as, and in our culture where we have to get married in order to make sure that the farm gets plowed uh, appropriately because the mule could die any day and you might need to strap one of you to the front and one of you to the back to make it all happen. So I, I like that. I like that we're independent. I like that we're all capable of earning incomes, doing things that are not grueling and horrible like um, our ancestors did. I mean, I know we're still we still have something like seventy thousand coal miners, but there will come a day when, if we're still mining coal, which I doubt we will be in the future, at least robots will be doing it. But when it comes to relationships, here's you know, I I, I have to say, you know, kind of like George Santayana, the Spanish philosopher, um, that those 
who remain ignorant of history are condemned to repeat it. And it seems to me that we make a big fuss about millennials, either that they're lazy and self-centered and snowflakes, or that they're wonderful and they're doing great, when actually this this tension between the older generation and the younger generation, that's that goes back thousands of years. We've sure. always had that. Sure, sure, yeah. And I know that, I mean, one of the things that I keep, there's a, there's a nationally syndicated old white guy who does a psychology column, and he is extremely critical of younger people in this way, that they're too uh, glued to their devices and that kind of thing. But the same, you know, our grandparents were saying the same thing about their children, or maybe I should say our great-great-grandparents were saying the same, same thing about the, the about when the car was invented, you know, all those good girls who lost their virtue on the uh, upholstery of a Ford in the back seat. And the same thing with the invention of the radio. When the radio came out, preachers preachers went crazy, over, fundamentalist preachers, that is. They were going crazy over the evil of all this devilish information coming over the airwaves. And so we, we've all struggled with the unfamiliar technology and those of us who are, you know, somewhat new to devices, like uh, the kind of telephones that we used to see on Star Trek are now an everyday reality. For some of us, uh, we're, we're scared, and we don't know what to do with this new reality. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, because they do bring up the challenges to this approach to relationships. They do, they do bring up some challenges, and one of them is um, our dependence on our phones. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk to you about some of these, and I, I actually went after I read this and interviewed um, some of the young people in my life, and by interview I meant I said, what do you think about this? Is this true or is this <laughs> bullshit? And um, for the most part, they agreed. They agreed with it. Um, but they did. I did say, what are your challenges? And they, they gave me some. Yeah, so you, you kept hearing the same things from the people you sampled? Uh -huh. Well, and so one of the things that came up in this article was, and actually I saw this same phrase in three different articles, which is the new monogamy. Yes, I've heard a lot about the new monogamy. And so for those of you who are not familiar with the new monogamy, it used to be called Friends with Benefits. Um, now it is basically this idea that you have a, a friend, and I think they're really friends, they're really friends, and they have a sexual relationship, and they are monogamous until they're not. So. Yeah, yeah. Let me interrupt there because I just, <laughs> I don't think they're friends. I don't I don't know if we're ever going to come to a meeting of the minds on this one, Jackie, because um, friendship at its core is a platonic affection for one another. And when I go out fishing with a buddy, uh, and he bends over to scoop up a fish in his net, I'm not checking out his south end, going, "Oh yeah, that's." And if I were he would not be thinking that I'm his friend. <laughs> he would be thinking something different is going on, and he would be right. And in the same way, I just, you know, platonic means free of the animal passions. So if I'm a man who likes women, I'm really, I can be friendly. I can love them. I can care about them. I can, I can be family friends with women. But at its core, it's a different kind of a relationship than with other men for me. Well, and I think that what this is is, in past generations, um, and I'm at the top of Gen X, um, so I've, I've kind of seen, I'm, I'm, I think that Gen X is kind of this transitionary 
between boomers and millennials. Boomers and millennials. Um, that you you did have this hole you needed to fill when you got out of college, and it was like the next step, right? Is this right. next guy? And so right. you would get in a relationship with a man um, or a person, depending on what your preference is, um, because you needed to fill this hole. And and but the idea with this person is that they were a potential mate, potential husband, potential spouse. You weren't looking at them as someone who you got along with really well, who you just wanted to have sex with. Right. And one of the things I like about this new monogamy is <clears throat> you are leaving yourself open to this other person. In the future. In the future. Because one of the things that they, they say in here is because men and women are essentially equal now as far as our roles. We don't have to get married to to find success. They're holding out. Sexism is over. We're now we're all e <laughs> we are all equals now. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. But that you're you're holding out for your 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 best soulmate sort well, of actually, situation. That's one of the questions because one of the quotes I read, and I have no idea if this quote is real because it doesn't sound real to me. It said that ninety six percent of emerging adults, and I don't know what that means, are holding out for their soulmate. Yeah, I I see. For me, uh, I guess what I, my my grumpy inner old man, uh, wants to say is not so much how are millennials different. I want to ask a different question because our questions determine what kind of answers we give ourselves, and I think for me it's a more interesting question: how are we all alike? Because I think millennials are still at the end of a million years of evolution, just like you and I are. And all those years of evolution don't just suddenly fail to exist for them. So I suspect that, like us, they, t they continue to be members of a social species. And by that, they're hardwired into craving affiliation that is attachment, that it's meaningful. And the emotional response to that kind of attachment is always love. That's the big payoff. We feel really good when we have love in our lives we thrive and conversely we fail to thrive when we don't get love in our lives the question to me is not so much again how we how different we are but how alike we are you know one of the things that i i like about the articles i've been reading in bustle and more um more.com that is is that we we seem to have lost faith in matrimony as a solution and I think there's some really good reasons for that. I think there are too. Yeah. What do you, I mean, as a woman, what do you see as being the downside of that? Well, I'm going to be contrary because I don't know that this is necessarily a bad thing. I think that, um, again, this generation has grown up with um, not only all the information in the whole world at their fingertips, you know, they're digital natives, they've also grown up with watching their parents' marriages fall apart. Right. And watching what happens when it falls apart and how, you know, all the badness that goes with that. And so I think that having that experience makes it really benefit or not beneficial. It would I can see why they wouldn't want to hold off. Well, this is interesting. Yeah. Getting married. Yeah, I think I'll, and honestly, I think a lot of people think and feel just like you do. I I was I was in the cutting edge of those children in the 60s whose parents had already divorced in the 50s. And so in uh, grade school, I remember being like the only kid in my class whose parents were divorced and they still had those ideas of having father and son night as if 
your father lived in this town? Come on, <laughs> give me a break. So, uh, but you know, for me, it had a very different response. Uh, I had a different reaction, I guess I should say, because it was a little bit like the story of the man uh, who grew up to become terribly successful and, and, and accomplished as a doctor and who never drank a drop of alcohol. And when asked, well, how did you turn out this way? And he said, well, if you knew my father, you'd understand. And his father was a terrible alcoholic. Well, there was another brother in the same family who was asked the same question, only he was an alcoholic. And he said, if you knew my father, you wouldn't have to ask. Right. So we, we each react differently to different stressors in our lives. And for me, having a divorced family just really made me want to dig in and understand the mystery of how is it two people could learn to live together in a way that was really mutually beneficial for both. And I, 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 for me, that was the real killer of the lack of equality was the real killer for marriage. It just, it just makes the kind of adult love that people want absolutely impossible. You know, when somebody in the marriage is uh, basically in the position of being a, a parent and the other one a child uh, or a boss with an employee or a master with a slave, there's... And it can be on different days, different subjects. You know, when it comes to money, he's the cock of the walk and telling everybody what's happening. And when it comes to children, and she's telling him this is the way it's going to be. And uh, the whole reason we get married, it seems to me, is historically we've always treated marriage as if it was a strategic alliance between two individuals who are looking to combine resources so that they might more effectively solve life's problems and more successfully become all that they could be in this life, truly, truly happier people. This is one of the best quotes in this article. Um, it says that now, and, it, and they talk about the things, same things you talk about when we're plowing the field and all those things you don't have time to think about. They said now, Americans now look to marriage increasingly for self-discovery, self-esteem, and personal growth. Right, instead of money, instead security, of money and a house and kids, and a source of sex and all so, that. So I think about how um, how many people, and and this is obviously not limited to past generations, but you have your starter marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, you get married in your twenties, and then you kind of figure out what you actually want, and then you get divorced, and then you marry your your real spouse and <laughs> start your life. Um, that was my model. <laughs> these guys um, skip that step. Right. They wait until they're older. They know more what they want. They have, you know, that they've they've established what they need to establish and accomplish what they want to accomplish, and then get married to the theoretically the real person. Obviously, we won't know if this works until, you know, down the line, and when we see if the divorce rate goes down. Hopefully, it does. But I just, I mean, and I and I say this as a little bit of a hypocrite because I got married at thirty and am the only one in my family who's divorced. Um, but I do think that waiting is a, still a good idea. Well, I mean, just playing the odds, wouldn't we all be more likely to be successful in intimate relationships if we were more mature? And you'd have to think there's a positive correlation between the one and the other. So yeah, if I'd been the man I was at 20 when I got married to my first uh, wife was a very different man compared to the 30-year-old I became. And there was, a, there was a big developmental leap forward for me as a human being. And I think it would have made a big difference had I spent the tw my 20s 
dating. And that, by the way, that's really, 30 is really close to the new average age for first marriages. They said, no, that is the average age. (laughs) It's exactly. The average age for first marriages now is 30. Yeah, just a few years ago it was 28, but it keeps creeping upwards. And I think the other thing, I don't know if you saw it in your research, but marriage continues to be extremely popular amongst upper middle class and upper class people. It seems to correlate with financial success a great deal, and partly because our society is geared around the legalities of holy matrimony in terms of benefits and uh, tax savings and that kind of thing. But what I'm noticing, at least with my young clients, is they're avoiding holy matrimony, as in like a courthouse or a church, but they're living together for 10 years and they've got three kids and they depend on each other and they can't imagine ever going their separate way. So they're avoiding what at least they think they're avoiding the problems of marriage. And can we agree they're not because that's the same thing as a marriage? No, that's the same. That's the same thing as a marriage. That's but I do know people who got along great when they left when they lived together. And then they got married, and all of a sudden it created all these problems. Absolutely. And and why would that be, do you think? Well, the people I've talked to in those situations, because the expectations changed. Uh-huh. I, I agree. And I think, like, in one, um, they were great friends, and they lived together probably for 10 or 15 years. And then they got married, and he expected her to be a wife. Yeah, whatever. And, and the old Jewish joke about how do you get a— Jewish girl will stop uh, giving oral sex. Well, you, you feed her wedding cake. And, <laughs> and so there are these, there are these um, stereotypes that we all have about marriage and what marriage means and the negative sides of marriage. But those are really, I think, cultural phenomenon that are true of us as individuals, but not true of many other individuals, because there are individuals who really make marriage work. And I think all of us, whether we're millennials or, or older, are going to want to have those meaningful love connections that really, well, that really make us human. You know, I mean, we talk about the words human and inhuman, and the difference between the two is the capacity for love. If you're not able to love and have compassion on other human beings, you're inhuman. And to the degree that you can do that, you're, you're so very, very wonderfully human. Sure. So can I ask you, um, as my marriage and family therapist friend, <laughs> um, everybody gives me their questions. They're like, you, sh- you need to ask him this. Oh, okay. So, um, so back to the, the conversation about the new monogamy. Um, there are obviously, and, I, and I can t- I'm guessing you don't completely approve <laughs> of, the I- of the idea of this, but we can just accept that it's that it's happening. It's a thing. It's a thing. So what are some guidelines for how to navigate this relationship? Yeah, I've got, you know, Benjamin Franklin said an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And in this area, I, I have to strongly agree with him. In fact, if anything, he undersold the idea. What I see killing young people isn't the fact that their parents got divorced or, or that um, they have iPhones now. <laughs> None of that really seems to hurt. What really seems to hurt, though, is that culturally we have set up our society with a variety of influences, including helicopter parenting, uh, entertainment through electronics, uh, and, and other cultural influences, such that 
we have a whole generation of people who are growing up with uh, a real deficit in their intimacy skills. So when I have clients, adult clients, and by the way, of all ages coming into my office looking for help in this area, I ask them how they ask women out on a date or how they end up talking to women. And they look at me blankly like, yeah, let's start there. Like they've never done that before. They've never done that before. And I, I have all these clients who have never had a single significant conversation with their target uh, gender. Well, and it's interesting. So we're going to come back because I want an answer on this one. But one of the other things that has come up is because um, Tinder and these apps are so prevalent now, um, there's a lot of young people who don't even know where to go to meet somebody. Right. and They don't know how to do it in real life. Yeah, and I, I do have ideas and strategies around that because, and, and I'll just say this for the casual listener right now. Um, you know, one of the great uses of the internet, and this is a free promo for uh, meetup.com, but the great thing about meetup is it essentially it replicates what we all had back in high school where we could sit in our English class or government class and passively observe the way other people around us behaved. Um, and sometimes we found ourselves approving or disapproving of those people, and we based our future contacts uh, accordingly. With meetups, I get to say I like hiking. I get to meet up with all these other hikers. And at the very least, we have something in common, something other than I'm auditioning for a leading role in your life as a romantic figure. And so we, I get to meet other men. She gets to meet other women. It's a win-win for everybody. And sometimes we start swapping phone numbers or getting to know people in a better way over time. And I've, the people I've, I have talked to so many people, this is kind of an untold story, actually. I haven't seen any articles on how many people ended up marrying the people they met at meetups. And the, the great thing about that, again, is that it replicates what normally used to happen. And it does it using the internet and the power of the connectivity that way in a much more effective way. So even if you're living in a town where you don't know anybody who likes playing board games, you can easily find a meetup where people are playing board games well, or are doing something else. Even beyond that, if we want to go completely old school, um, just doing what you like to do, you know, just going, yes. volunteering. Um, if you if you want to, you know, I, I spend a whole weekend being pol political, you know, going, giving my time to that, going hiking, going... Right. And I agree completely because at least then you meet, I mean, at the very least, you're going to meet other people. Maybe it's all the same gender and you're in, you as a woman are interested in men in the romantic sense. But even if you're expanding your social circle, you're still going to be meeting new men through your new girlfriends. So that that really brings up another topic in terms of prevention. You know, I would recommend that nobody out there consider get, getting married, whether legally or otherwise with anyone who doesn't have significant friends. I have, when I start my work with the men I work with, typically, not only do they not have a satisfying love life or dating life, uh, I'll ask them, so what about you and your friends? And they'll look at me again, blankly, because they'll, and then sometimes they'll start talking about their work buddies, guys they'll go throw down a beer with or something like that, but they actually have no real friends. And when you think about the level of difficulty, if it's really hard to make, to get to the point where you can make a romance work, it's significantly less hard 
to make a friendship work where it's truly platonic between two guys or two women. And when somebody has zero experience with having friendships and they have no social support network to go back home to and bounce ideas off of and talk about what a jerk they were on their last date or what do I do when she says this, they have no resources except that little echo chamber that they walk around with uh, every day between their ears. That really makes it difficult to get a perspective on things. So that's one of the things that's nice about uh, Meetup or just doing doing what you do, just that living your life, is is even if you don't meet the love of your life out on this hike, that you're meeting people with similar interests. Yeah, and, and really, what's the goal ultimately? You know, the, the best I could ever hope for with any wonderful woman, and I'm happily married to a very wonderful woman, but the most I could ever hope for is that she could be a wonderful part of an otherwise wonderful life. She can't become my entire life. So while I'm waiting for that other person, I'm also supposed to be developing a life that's actually worth living because only a life worth living is a life worth sharing. And if you don't have a life worth sharing, that would say a lot about the people who want to share your life. They would be just as equally messed up as you. So um, I know that you're concerned about, <clears throat> and evidently there's a reason for this, concerned about um, technology and how it does become such a prominent part of our lives. And one of the other questions, and it was in the article as well, is that um, how technology gets in the way of our relationships. Yeah. So you're sitting on the couch with your beloved and your phones are both next to your hands. And if anybody texts or calls, or you're going to pick it up and you're going to look. And so, I mean, what's the answer to that? Just well, and in, in, in the meantime, you're looking at your laptop while you're on Reddit uh, at the incel uh, thread talking about involuntary celibates and who hate women and, and are yearning for women to reach out to them while they don't get out and actually meet women. So the, it's that this whole part of things is crazy. What we're talking about are profound social skill deficits and the technology, the same technology that makes it possible for me to sit home and, and troll somebody uh, abusively and horribly is the same technology and the same lack of social skills, I might add, that leads to relying on apps like Tinder and Grindr and, and others that so people can hook up. I think I think we would be far better served doing some things like meetups that aren't specifically about dating and sex. So we could just get some people in our lives and learn to love our lives and the people around us and start becoming a better human being before we start, try to fulfill that giant empty space with another human being. Because as so many women have pointed out, she might make a great wife, but she can never be my soul. You know, and that, that pressure to be so much, to fill every empty corner of my broken self is not something anybody could ever do. So we have the relationship. We found the person. We're happy with them. We're sitting on the couch next to them, and we're still looking at our phones. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so do you? What do you advise your your clients? Do Do you have like no phone night, no phone at the dinner table? What do you? How do you get around that? Yeah, I saw an, I saw one of the illustrations, one of the articles I was reading. It was uh, a GIF file that had her looking at her phone, and then nervously looking over at her husband. He's looking at his phone, nervously looking over at her occasionally while they're both lying in bed. And 
yeah, that's a problem, right? I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be an embryonic Freud to understand that that's really going to interfere with uh, a real sense of connection with the other person. So it's a little bit like interacting with your favorite uh, pet, like a dog or a cat, while simultaneously looking on your phone. You're really not attending to what's happening in front of you. You can't parent while you're looking at the newspaper or the television or your iPhone. So yeah, we got to we got to get away a little bit. So is it, is it being aware, being aware of this and Oh, you're looking for what can they do now? What can they do now? <laughs> it's always what I'm looking for. You know, uh for me, I use my cell phone as a phone. And I when I'm with my clients, I don't answer my phone. I don't glance down at the text. I don't uh surf the internet while they're ta- while they're talking to me. And shouldn't we be treating our spouses and our boyfriends and girlfriends just equally as kindly and attentively and respectfully. Sure. So since we need to start wrapping up, and I have another question for you. Um, Really? We have time for one more? I'm surprised. We have time for one more. Um, So there's this, so people are meeting online. They're meeting on Facebook. They're meeting on, you know, online. And there's this thing called sliding into the DMs. Yeah. And so with a story I heard was, so um, people, they'll comment on something you've posted on Facebook, and then they'll private message you. And the one that I heard about was this woman had was posting about her uh, grandmother who had died in her funeral. And this guy came on and slid into her DMs to tell her how pretty she was <laughs> at her grandmother's <laughs> funeral. Tone, so, tone deaf much? Yeah. So can we just give our um, young people, and I'm going to guess this is probably mostly men, um, a couple words of advice on how to navigate that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you know, it's a little bit, to be honest with you, it's a little bit like trying to discuss colors with somebody who was born blind. Because if you don't have the beginnings of social skills and intimacy skills, talking about how to correct uh, behavior invariably ends up coming across as a as a tip on this is how you can get a girl this is how you can get a boyfriend this is how you can make you know find find your love mate and uh that's really not what we're talking about what we're really talking about is unwinding that emotional neediness that has us frantically searching for someone else and saying these grossly inappropriate things as we've seen in the workplace with sexual harassment and instead, actually relating to people as a human being. And you can't do that by just saying that to yourself. You actually have to start filling some of that emptiness by, again, having a life worth living, getting a circle of friends you love, start enjoying your life, start loving your life. And when you do that, people will find you. You don't have to go look for anybody. You don't have to come on to anybody. People will find you because we all love to be around happy, successful people. That's really good advice. And I feel like uh, we're going to need to probably explore some of these issues on a later podcast because yeah. there's a lot more to, to unwind with this. But um, thank you for today. This was really interesting. No, it was my pleasure. I, you know, I grew up in a family that was so crazy, violent, alcoholic and everything else that the idea of figuring out how two people can live together joyfully is just, it's just something that makes me feel so, so good inside. I, I think uh, our, whole, our whole nation 
loves love stories, right? Especially those romantic comedies where they end up together and happy at the end. And those kind of happy endings uh, make us all feel so good. Even when we see an older couple who've been together for 50 or 60 years. I love watching older people with holding hands. And they're doting on each other and they're obviously so happy and been happy for all those decades. We love that stuff. And I, I, I really want everybody to be able to have that if that's what they're looking for. Sure. So thank you so much, and um, we will get together another time and talk about other issues. If you have questions for Stephen, please tweet us at MFT. Thank you for listening to Asking for a Friend with therapist Stephen Ng. If you have questions for Stephen, please tweet us at MFT.